When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listen, I'm a rich guy. I know I shouldn't start my story with that, and it might influence how you perceive me, but it is an important detail. You see, I run in different circles than most, and my activities are also very different from what an average guy would do. I surf in Australia, I swim with sharks, climb mountains because those are the things I can afford to do. I'm not saying that to boast or anything, especially since I haven't done anything to deserve that money. I was just born lucky, I guess you could say. I was born and raised in a very wealthy family that made sure I wouldn't have to work a single day in my life. And while I'd like to think I'm a good guy, the people I surround myself with aren't. I went hunting with my uncle in Africa and couldn't bring myself to pull the trigger. Meanwhile, he shot and killed a rhino, a giraffe, and a gazelle. I wanted to experience a different kind of thrill, but it wasn't for me. Then I came across a message board. People were talking about giving each other challenges, all based on different emotions. To participate, you had to choose from many emotions, like love, envy, greed, anger, fear, comfort. There were a bunch of them, and a bunch of subboards. Love was full of wholesome stories, people that were given a challenge to romance a specific person, and ended up genuinely falling in love with them. It was that kind of dealio. There were also non-wholesome stories, and pictures of people crying when they hurt the target, or got rejected themselves. These challenges were not my style. I didn't want to hurt someone else's feelings, so I didn't participate in those that involved other people. I subscribed to fear because I saw a few challenges I thought were interesting. A couple sleeping in a cave, people exploring famous haunted spots. This was way more my deal. I've always been a down-to-earth kind of guy, despite my lavish lifestyle and being spooked was right down my alley in the sort of challenge I was sure I could take on. It was easy peasy, and I might even get some cheap thrills out of it. A few days later, I was looking for a new TV to buy when I received an in-browser notification about the Fear Challenge message board. It was updated, and a new challenge was offered to the first 12 people who decided to join. From the first sentence describing the place, I was hooked. Think you got nothing to be afraid of? Think again. The ad started with these lines, and posted a picture of what looked like an old, decrepit, abandoned mental health hospital. A classic decor for any horror movie fan. The ad continued, 
saying it was an old hospital built during the Romanian War for independence. This hospital had been known to use illicit methods to heal wounded soldiers and victims of war alike. Nobody knew how and when it was erected either. It just appeared out of nowhere one day and started treating patients. And then, as the war ended, it closed up just as fast and was left to deteriorate. The boards also added a few creepy stories about the human experiments and theories about mad doctors and nurses abusing their patients. Some reports even said this hospital killed more than it saved. And then there was the challenge. To find all the porcelain dolls hidden inside. The mastermind behind the challenge took the time to go in during the day and hide about 40 of them. The dolls were little girls with curly blonde hair, red lipstick, and a matching red dress and hat. Whichever team found the most dolls, won, which meant I wouldn't be going at this alone. The organizers wanted to make four teams of three, and they would make the teams themselves. All we had to do was sign up, pay our travel expenses, and participate. They would tell us who we matched with and the challenge would start at nightfall. What was the prize for whoever won? Well, the experience of a lifetime and some money. I really didn't care about that though. There wasn't anything I couldn't buy, and a money prize would just add to the already ever-growing pile of riches I already had. I assume that most people who participated in that challenge were in a similar position. Winning was more for bragging rights than for a prize. I filled the form to participate, and then checked the board every day until the candidates for the challenge were selected. It all seemed very legit to me. Then, the selection day came, and I refreshed the board every 30 minutes, hoping to see my name on the list. Many people came forward on the board throughout the week, saying they were excited about this one. Now I knew from the post that more than 12 people submitted their applications, and I was a newbie there. I wanted to be chosen so bad, but I just didn't expect it. I didn't have any experience or reputation on the board. But I was. Chosen, I mean. When the list came out, my online moniker was fourth on the list. The announcement also specified that they were giving us the equipment needed for the experience, so we didn't need to bring anything other than ourselves and what we needed for an enjoyable trip to Romania. The following Saturday, I flew from South California to Romania in a private jet chosen by the mastermind behind the challenge. I paid my fee, signed the papers without looking, and showed my e-invite as I boarded. On the plane were three other people, a woman about my age and two older men. The men were talking amongst themselves and the woman seemed absorbed in her book, so I decided not to disturb any of them. I put in my earbuds and listened to music. The flight went without a hitch, and none of the passengers exchanged words besides the two older gentlemen. Nobody tried talking to me. I didn't try talking to them either. Once we arrived at the airport, there was a luxurious car waiting for the woman and me. 
I was surprised the two older gents didn't come with us, but they might have been on the plane for different reasons, and maybe that's why they didn't talk to anyone else. The woman's name was Rosa, if I could trust what's written on the cardboard the driver's holding. I entered the car first, then waited until she was seated to strike up a conversation. Now that she wasn't reading, I thought I could get to know her a little. She wasn't unattractive, but not my type. But if I was going to participate in that fear challenge with her, I might as well get to know her. Hey, Derek, it's nice to meet you. You here for the challenge? She raised her eyes, and I swear, she looked at me like I was a nuisance. I guess she didn't want to talk that much, or maybe she was just judging me. At this point, I didn't particularly care, but I was raised with good manners, so I was a little miffed that she ignored me. She returned her attention to her book, making it clear she had no interest in chatting it up with me. I knocked on the driver's window to ask how long the drive was, and after he answered two hours, I groaned and decided to spend time playing video games on my phone. We eventually arrived at a luxurious-looking mansion, and I saw six more cars parked in the entryway, which meant that many, if not all the other candidates, were already there. That said, the trip between South California and Romania was a long one, so that might explain why we were last. We got to the mansion and every other participant was already there, eating food from a fancy buffet and drinking wine. After eating, drinking, and mingling, I got to know a few of the participants, but since we were going to be matched in four different teams, it didn't mean that the people I talked to were on my team. Now later on during the evening, our host arrived in a relatively simple yet elegant costume and a mask. He explained the rules to win the game. No leaving after you enter the hospital. The doors would lock behind us. Once you've found at least ten dolls, your team will be allowed to retire or continue to assure victory. Simple enough. Then a door opened and a dozen butlers came out. All of them were wearing white suits and masks. I was feeling that whole immersion and was getting pretty excited. The butlers were carrying sizable black duffel bags and all twelve of them dropped the bags and left. Then, the host said that once he called our names, we could choose a duffel bag. He explained that these bags had the equipment necessary to complete the game, which meant that teamwork was required. I heard Rosa grunt and prayed that she wouldn't be on my team. She didn't exactly sound like the cooperative type. I even wondered why she would join a team-based challenge if she was more of a solo player. I got lucky. My name was called first. So I walked up and picked up the fifth bag. I was instructed not to open it until we reached our destination. Once everyone had a bag, we were given 30 minutes to finish eating, drinking, go to the restrooms. Because once we were in the hospital, we'd have to use their restrooms. We all laughed and prepared for the game. I was the first to go out, 
The host waited for us there. He then gave me a number and told me to stay in the car that had that particular number. Five minutes later, my first teammate arrived. It was a retired dentist from France. I had a little talk with him while I mingled with the crowd. He was about 45, had a family and a kid. He won big on the lottery and retired at the age of 38. He'd been doing this kind of stuff for the past three or four years since he discovered it, and he told me it was his fourth challenge. He said that it was his first time doing a red one, though. I forgot to ask him about that earlier, so I asked him once he sat in the car. He explained that the boards used color-coded challenges so people could decide the level of thrills they were looking for. Green is a safe challenge for beginners. Yellows can involve some physical activity or be difficult for people with heart conditions, thus not recommended. Red means it's a wild card, and that the papers they had us sign as we boarded were an NDA and a liability waiver because the red code means that people could get hurt. It made me a bit nervous, and I regretted not reading the fine print, as they said. I didn't even notice the color when I read the ad for it. I told him I was a first-timer and didn't notice, and he started laughing. Then he said it was probably not as bad as we thought. Probably. He had been to a few yellows. Nobody got hurt seriously. Except for that one time a girl broke her wrist. But it was an exception. It reassured me a little, but not too much. And I started feeling a bit unsettled. Before I could say anything else though, the third participant in our team joined us. And you will be elated to hear that, yes, I was paired with Rosa. Martin tried to get her to talk, but she barely paid him any attention. You know we're going to have to collaborate, right? I told her, but she dismissed me with a quick, yeah, yeah. She sounded like a rebellious teen, not like a woman of her age. The car started moving, and about 20 minutes later, we reached our destination. It was already past 10 at night. The moon was rising, and the decor looked straight out of a horror movie. As I got out of the car, I felt a cold breeze. The freshness of it permeated my skin and froze me to the bones. The sight of this decrepit hospital not doing anything to calm me down. It stood in the middle of a small hill, precisely like the pictures on the board showed me. Seeing it in real life was much more humbling than I thought. The twelve participants gathered in the front of the entryway gate, and we were instructed to choose a team leader. The dentist said that I should do it, and we heard no objection from the woman. But I wanted to cooperate, so I offered her to become our team leader. She agreed. All team leaders were given a master key. The key opened all the doors, except the ones that led outside. For that, we needed a code, and we could only get a complete code once we had ten dolls. It was a poisoned gift, if you will, seeing how the first person to open doors was always the one exposed to the danger, but it didn't seem to bother our leader. 
We were then instructed to open our bags and choose the equipment we wanted to carry with us. I chose a rope, which I tied around my hips and shoulders to carry it easily. Then I picked a Swiss army knife and a flashlight. In my bag was also a foldable shovel, a heavy rock, and a hammer. I decided the hammer would be my weapon of choice, as I didn't see myself carrying a shovel or a rock. I also had protective goggles, but I didn't know how useful they would be. I still took them and shoved them on my head just in case. Everyone had different things in their bags. The dentist had a machete for a weapon, electric tape, and a six liter water pouch that he could tie to his back like a backpack a pen, a flashlight, and gloves. As for our leader, she had a scalpel, another flashlight, matches, an old hospital gown, and a plastic bag. When I looked back at my bag, I picked up the heavy rock and asked her to let me carry it with the bag, which she agreed to. I tied the bag to my belt. Now, the only thing I was leaving behind was the shovel, but I just didn't think we'd need it. Not like there would be anywhere to dig in a hospital. With that said and done, we were led to the north entrance. The other teams were led in other directions. We were reminded of the rules one last time. And then we were let loose in the hospital. When I heard the click of the door locking behind us, I realized the game had started. I reached for my flashlight, turned it on, and looked at where we were standing. It was a common hallway with pale green and beige paint flaking off the walls. There were multiple brown stains on them as well, and I assumed those were mold on the paint or a humidity stain. I could hear droplets in the distance. The three of us were quiet as we scanned the hallway with our flashlights. There was also a lot of dust in the air. I could see it fly by in my flashlight beam. Then... The smell hit me. It smelled like the doors hadn't been opened in forever. Rank, humid, moldy. It was surprisingly warm, too, considering that we were in Romania in September. It didn't feel right. Then again, this was the point of the whole experience. I swallowed thickly as Rosa took a step forward, thus launching our expedition through the abandoned hospital. The first room we visited looked like a dentist's space. It kind of relaxed me a little, though the equipment seemed a little odd. Rosa's eyes lit as she approached the device, and for the first time she genuinely sounded interested as she explained what it was. She told Martin and I that this was one of the first shock therapy equipment on the market, probably dating back to the early 1940s. She kept explaining how it was used as we opened molded-over cabinets to find a doll. I was focused on my task and listening to her when Martin yelped, and when I turned around, I saw a giant rat jump on him, run over his shoulders before jumping to the ground. The poor guy was pale as a ghost. I was about to say something reassuring when an odd bit of laughter filled the room. My hair stood on end all over my body, and Martin tensed visibly, asking us what the hell that was. 
Rosa called us babies and said this was probably just the plumbing wincing. It could have been. It was too early yet to talk about ghosts. The timing was impeccable, though. The rat and the laughter could have fooled me. I could have easily thought that a spirit planted the rat there to have fun at our expense. We finished exploring the room and moved on to the hallway. The sound of little feet scuttling on the ground reminded me that this place was probably jam-packed with rats, bugs, and other types of parasites. It explained the level red. If we get bit or stung, that's not their responsibility. It made more sense. Nothing deadly here. The second door was locked, so Rosa had to open it first. Rosa stepped in and let out a loud yell as she brushed away old dust threads and cobwebs simultaneously. The air of the room was arid and dusty compared to the human warmth we had experienced in the beginning. We flashed our lights around the room and noticed the doll first. She was hung by the neck to the ceiling. When I pulled on it to get it down, half the roof fell on us, with all of its decades worth of dust rat shit, and bugs. I regretted not having my goggles in front of my eyes. After coughing, sneezing, and shaking off the dust for a few minutes, we finally agreed to use a bit of the water to clean up and refresh ourselves. Water stung a little, which surprised me as I had no cuts. None of us were actually wounded, just absolutely filthy. Rosa smelled the pouch and told us that it was holy water, and that we probably shouldn't douse ourselves with it. Bit late for that, but why six liters of holy water? The floor cracked as we kept walking and explored the room. It was nothing but counters and glass cabinets. Outside of our doll, there was nothing to find here. I was just about to turn around when I felt something warm brush against my neck as if someone was breathing down on me. My blood ran cold instantly, and when I turned around, there wasn't anyone there. I suggested that we leave and kept going, and the door we went through slammed shut. The three of us stood there in complete silence. And then we heard the sound of something climbing the walls. It was like someone was walking on all fours in an aluminum vent passage, but inside of the wall. As I looked where the sound was coming from, I saw a vent in the wall between two cabinets. I ran to it and opened it, and a dreadful scream escaped from the vent. I took two quick steps back, tripped on my own foot, and I fell on my ass. The vent closed with an infernal bang, and Rosa did what I didn't have time to do. She opened up the vent and flashed her light down to investigate. She told us it was a body chute and that there was likely a tunnel system below the hospital where they could safely transport the corpses to be burned in communal pits near the cemetery. The scream we heard was just likely wind coming up, and the climbing noise was likely just the metal shaking with each gust. Now my heart was hammering in my chest, and Martin looked about ready to have a heart attack, and yet, Rosa was calm. She was experienced. Her explanations did reassure me. 
But the longer I stayed in the hospital, the more I realized that something truly screwed up was happening in here. Martin put his gloves on and used his machete to tear open the doors so that we could escape the room. After what we went through in this room, I also decided to put my goggles over my eyes. We were barely inside the hospital, and we already had two terrifying experiences, and I wondered what else was in store for us. Back in the hallway, the hospital already felt different. I used my flashlight to try to see how far the hallway went, and I'm pretty sure I saw a shadow move. But before I could investigate, Rosa was opening a third door. We didn't find anything of value in there, other than what Rosa described as lobotomy equipment. Just looking at the tables and the device sent a shiver down my spine. I could just imagine the poor sap who laid down on it, expecting a treatment, only to wake up with a portion of his brain completely gone. I mean, how did people even think lobotomy was a solution? We kept going down the hallway, opening doors, exploring rooms. In one of those rooms, there was nothing but a couch. I saw Rosa go over to the couch to bend over a cushion and use her scalpel, tearing into the fabric and ripping apart the couch. Then, she pulled the porcelain doll out of the wreckage with a proud smile. She said that this place looked too innocuous not to hide one of these, and she thought the couch was a perfect hiding spot. She took a step forward to give me the doll, as I was the one with the duffel bag, but she tripped. I managed to catch her in time, but the doll fell to the ground and shattered, revealing a piece of paper hiding inside its head. On the paper was a single inscription, Doll Number 34. We decided to break the other one we found, and in her head, we found Part 1 of Door Code 68. Now, we didn't know how long the door code would be, but we had Part 1 and Doll 34, so it meant that some dolls gave information about the code, and other dolls were just numbers added to our pile. If we collected ten numbered dolls, we could open the doors. But we could maybe find fewer dolls and get the door code if we wanted out. Now this was reassuring, at least until we heard running down the hallway. Martin was the first to get to the door, and he yelled about something moving. Then he dropped his flashlight and broke it as he did so. He rushed back inside the room, screaming. I froze on the spot that I stood, but Rosa flashed her flashlight down the hallway. I saw her eyes open wide, and a second later, they were back to normal. She whispered a small, coward, under her breath as she walked down the hall. I quickly followed behind her, and Martin behind me since he didn't have a flashlight anymore. What he had seen and confused for a ghost was just a rack of old nurse outfits floating in the breeze. Listen, you're too scared. It makes you see shit that isn't here. She mocked him and realized that we were at the end of the hallway. We could either go up or down. Now, I wanted to go up, 
But Rosa said the scariest was below, and as our leader, we had to follow her when she decided to go down the stairs. I could feel my heart pounding with each step down. As soon as we got to the lower level, I heard moaning, and then sobbing. I felt Martin's hand on my shoulder tighten as a single bulb flickered. The ceiling was a little shorter than it was on the previous level, and this place wasn't supposed to have electricity. As we walked down the hallway, the bulbs started glowing and flickering faster. I desperately wished for Rosa to provide me with a scientific explanation, but she remained silent, her fingers tight around her flashlight. And then another bout of laughter, the sound of footsteps ahead of us, and moving shadows. Martin trembled. I felt nauseous, a heavy weight crushing my chest. I felt like if I had breathed too loud, I would offend whatever existed down here. Rosa said that we were close. Close to what? Near the staircase that led below, apparently. This was just a semi-level. I didn't want to go down any further. The moment I stepped on the first stair down, I felt like going down was a terrible idea. We should be exploring the hospital and finding dolls, not going down into tunnels. But it was too late. Rosa was leading us down, whether we wanted to or not. I shook Martin's hand off me and told him to get a hold of himself. He apologized and said he understood why they marked it red and that I was brave for a first-timer. But I wasn't. I felt like my soul wanted to leave my body. My entire skeleton was shaking in fear. Oh, another hanging doll. Rosa's voice broke through the atmosphere as we entered the tunnel. This time, I used my Swiss army knife to cut her down, not wanting a repeat of the first room. I was still very much itchy. We found another doll on our way down. Her face was fractured and one of her eyes was missing. She had the number 39. When we entered the tunnel below the staircase, I thought I was going to die. The place was filled with, well, I don't know how to say it. Presences? It was so tense. I could barely see them with my flashlight, but sometimes I saw eyeless, skeletal, and corporeal forms. Ghosts. I'm sure that what I saw were ghosts. Each of them whispering, glaring, and demanding I leave through either words or actions. I felt hands on my neck and thought it was Martin's, but they were ice cold. When I turned around, I flashed my flashlight on Martin and I saw him with blood-red eyes, looking left and right, absolutely panicked and constantly repeating that he wanted to go back upstairs. Let's just go back upstairs. We shouldn't be here. Let's just go back upstairs. Upstairs is so much nicer. I asked Rosa to give me the matches. I told him to go back upstairs on his own, that we would find him. He just had to wait in the one room with the couch. As I went to pass him the matches, 
I felt something cold grab my wrist, and I too grabbed the flashlight that I had. It broke instantly, and Martin just started screaming. The atmosphere around us changed immediately. If it was uncomfortable before, now the tunnel seemed downright hostile. Martin's screams disturbed whatever was here, so I grabbed him by the shirt and held on to him. I felt him punch my back as I screamed at Rosa to grab my rope and help me tie him up. We struggled, I mean, trust me, we struggled for a few minutes to get his hands behind his back and tie him. We also had to steal his tape and tape his mouth shut. Neither of us was strong enough to carry him, but we couldn't just let him scream the whole time. We used the rest of the rope as a leash and pretended not to hear his whining, sniffles, and sobs as we carried on to the rest of the tunnel. As we progressed, we found a trailer with a huge dark stain at the end of it, which we could only assume to be blood. We also found a pair of conjoined twinned porcelain dolls, which we promptly broke. The message said, Congratulations. We count for two. Numbers 21 and 22 get you closer. Woo-hoo. The rhyme didn't make the find any better. I just thought this horrible tunnel was worth all of the dolls. Now it took everything to go back upstairs while dragging Martin. However, as soon as we were no longer in the basement, he stopped crying. So we took the tape off of his mouth. When asked if he would throw a tantrum again, if we freed him from the ropes, he apologized and said he was back to his normal self, but he just couldn't take the tunnels below. I didn't tell him anything, I felt it too. We were six dolls closer to our goal, and I'm sure Martin wanted to leave as badly as I did. I didn't care about winning anymore, I just wanted four more dolls, and to be on my way out. We went upstairs instead of exploring the first floor. We were also surprised that we hadn't yet met another team. Maybe we could trade codes with them if they had them, who knows. I mean, that could be a way to get out faster. My wish was granted as we entered the first room and met with another team. A woman was clinging to a man and crying, and on the floor, another unconscious woman. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I still bent down to check her vitals. She just collapsed, the woman screamed. Fortunately, she wasn't dead. She had just passed out. She had three cuts on each of her arms. When I asked how that happened... The man said that she was attacked when she entered that room, and that's how she passed out. The cuts were fresh, and I could see the master key hanging around the woman's neck. Their story checked out. We ripped up the hospital gown Rosa was carrying to make some makeshift bandages. Then we asked them how many dolls they found, and they only had two. We asked them about the numbers or codes. They seemed puzzled so we explained that inside the doll's head was either a number or a piece of the door's code. They broke the two and found the third piece of the code. We couldn't use their numbers, but we could use the code. So using Martin's pen, I scribbled their code on my wrist and allowed them to do the same with our code. 
Rosa then stole the holy water from Martin and blessed the unconscious woman. She woke up instantly, looked at everyone, and asked what had happened. We soon left them. We still needed to get the dolls and the code parts to leave. Rosa said that teamwork was great, but we were separated into different teams for a reason. Two pieces of code, six dolls, four to go. We walked in the opposite direction from where we came from and entered the first room on the left. As soon as we entered the room, Rosa was pushed back into me and I was forced back into Martin. Even if we tried to advance into the room, we kept being pushed back. The flashlight didn't reveal anything, and I don't know what got over me, but I was getting angry. I grabbed my hammer and I hit the wall, and I felt something. I felt something I couldn't see, and I heard a moan coming from all around me. The air was sucked from my lungs as I got sucker punched to the chest. I tasted blood in the back of my mouth and a crushing weight on my back as I fell to the ground. Rosa grabbed the plastic bag with the rock from my hip and swung it around. I heard it crash against something, and she went ballistic, just repeatedly swinging the rock in the air until whatever was in the room disappeared. We found another doll, but I felt weak. She used the holy water again. In a matter of seconds, I felt better. The spirits were getting aggressive. It was no longer just about scaring us away. They wanted to physically remove us from the premises. Every muscle in my body ached as I stood back up, and Martin offered me his shoulder to lean on. Rosa walked with us, seeing how she was the only one with the flashlight, making our search for dolls that much more difficult. We found another staircase that went down to another side and decided to follow it. We were led into what looked like a hallway of isolation rooms. Bugs and mold had long eaten the padding on the walls, and the squeaking of rats as we heard walking down the hall added a nice touch of horror. There was a thrumming in my ears that didn't want to stop since I was knocked out, and yet... I could still hear the sobs and whispers pouring out of each of these rooms. We eventually found another doll on the floor of one of these rooms, laying in a red puddle. It smelled a bit like oil, but it probably just came from the broken pipe in the ceiling. We went up another staircase and found ourselves in another part of the hospital. The first room we entered was empty, save for another doll hanging from the ceiling. I cut it off and we got another portion to the code. By this time, we were one doll away from freedom. But the next room didn't spare us. Rosa entered it, and the smell slapped us in the face like a bag of bricks. The room was infested with rats, and when we opened the door, they scattered off between our legs. In the center of the room was a dead animal carcass. I didn't want to look at it any longer. Rosa got closer, then requested the gloves from Martin. In the middle of the carcass was the last doll we needed to find. When we broke it with my hammer, we found the last piece of code we needed. We then rushed down the hallway and another flight of stairs. I felt like we were being watched the entire time, and we finally reached a door with a code. 
I've never in my life felt so happy to breathe fresh air. Congratulations, you're the first team to clear the challenge. Do you wish to return and ascertain your victory? There are still four hours left to the challenge. Team leader? I panicked. For a second, I thought Rosa would pull us back in to find more dolls, but she also looked like she had had her fill. When she declined, Martin and I released the air in our lungs that we didn't even know we were withholding. I breathed for what felt like the first time since the beginning of our experience. You know, it's been a few years. I haven't forgotten anything about this challenge. Sometimes I still check the message boards and I'm tempted to participate in different challenges, just not the fear ones, and even less the red-coated ones. I did want something different, but that challenge was way more than what I had expected. Maybe someday I'll do another, but I'll need a Rosa with me again.